I, I, my, my intent was to start with kind of the good news, because um, uh, uh, up until like an hour ago, I, I thought we had a week when we didn't have a major, you know, news incident. Um, the, the one major news incident w- w- was the fact that um, uh, His Excellency Governor General David Johnson uh, completes his term of office this weekend. Uh, a new Governor General will be sworn in tomorrow. And... Um, uh, He's just one of these people who, as, as I've watched, and I don't know all, but as I've watched, as far as I can tell, he's carried himself with just a, a beautiful dignity and a, and a decorum um, to his office. Um, over the last seven years, occasionally, you know, sort of admiring him as a leader, uh, one who's wise and, and balanced and uh, insightful. Uh, he's got kind of this grandfatherly character that's like, yeah, I'd like a grandpa like that, you know, as he welcomes his own grandkids at uh, Rideau Hall or as he would uh, interact with other children. Uh, it, to me, it's just always been delightful. Um, and a man who's carried that office uh, with, with graciousness and insight, uh, that carried the dignity of the office, and comes from very humble means, uh, very uh, you know, humble family beginnings. It wasn't too surprising to me then to find out that he's also a man of deep Christian conviction, um, who attempts to be a follower of Jesus. And, and as, we, as the country kind of reflects on the past seven years, um, one of the things that I've found myself doing is coming back and just praising God that a man, a person, any person in the public eye uh, would, if someone cared to scratch a little deeper, would find out that under the, uh, the dignity of the office and under the, the decorum with which um, the person has carried the office is a foundation which um, is Jesus. Um, why is that person the way they are? Um, and they would say, well, Many factors, but a fundamental one is Jesus, um, who is at work in my life. Um, Through that process, we get the opportunity to see the greatness of God, uh, of what he does in someone's life. As someone says, my desire would be to bring God glory. Is God's glory seen through your life? You don't have to be the governor general uh, to to, to be able to say, well, I, I think so. I hope so. I'm, I'm praying that it would be so. I'm desiring that it would be so. That, that's, that people, when they look at my life, would see a reflection of the greatness that is my God. Uh, that I would have act, active opportunity to point people to consider the greatness uh, which is my God. We've been examining the uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer out of John chapter 17 over the last two Sundays. And... Um, uh, this is a prayer that Jesus has prayed toward the close of uh, the evening meal. As he's gathered with his disciples in the upper room to celebrate what would be uh, his, the final Passover, his final Passover, um, before they would leave that upper room and they would go down, minus his betrayer, his disciples minus his betrayer, uh, they'd go down through the Kidron Valley, a- a- across from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and there Jesus would pray again, and then meet his betrayer. And then like dominoes falling would come his betrayal, uh, his trial, uh, his, uh, his, his torture, his execution. But we've already observed how significant it must be that on his mind was not so much all that was immediately coming, but on his mind was you. On his mind was me. Those, and we see that in this prayer as he would intercede for us. Uh, John 17, 1, that first 
sort of third of this prayer, uh, he prayed that God would glorify him with the glory he had before the creation of the world so that he could bring glory back to the Father. And we recognize that the purpose of Jesus' life was to bring glory to the Father. And you don't have to do much more searching in Scripture to discover that that's our purpose too. That's our purpose too, is to bring, is to point people to the greatness which is our God. We could say that's that's our ultimate purpose, or or maybe it's better to describe it as our first purpose, that that we would point others to the greatness which is God. And then Jesus prayed for the protection of his followers, specifically those that were gathered around him there, his disciples, And, and he prayed for them, and we discover by extension he's praying for us as well. Um, that God would protect them, and the protection he offers is God's name. The name God had given to him as the Son, that name would be given to his followers, and that name representing the very presence and power of God, God himself becomes our protector. Reminding us that we are now the people of God. If we've believed in Jesus and turned to the Lord, we are now the people of God. We're no longer the people of the world. If you were interested in following up on some of that, those sermons are, are, our sermons are always put up on our website. Um, both of those sermons are there, and you could review those. But this brings us then to kind of the closing segment of Jesus' prayer before they head out to the garden. And this is where he turns and he overtly prays for you. He overtly prays for me. Uh, let's stand together, and I'll read it for us. John chapter 17, starting at verse 20. I'm in the New International Version, if, uh, you have it, if you're looking it up digitally. It'll be on the screen behind me, John chapter 17, starting at verse 20, and this is the word of the Lord. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have seen me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it and apply it in our lives this morning. You may be seated. So as has been true through the, the kind of the first two segments of this prayer, I, I can't read this portion of scripture without coming to all kinds of questions about what Jesus is speaking of. And so I've kind of gone through and I've picked out what I think are, are three of the most significant questions that are stirred by this text. I may or may not hit on ones that you've been wondering about this text. And so you can just fire me a text. The text number should be on the screen here. Send me a text and I will, um, about 15, 20 minutes from now, pause and uh, do my best to answer your questions. Questions about the text. Maybe it's questions about something I've said that's 
sparked a, a, a question or an idea. And so you can just send that to that number and I'll do my best to, uh, to give you the best answer. So here are the three, the best answer I can come up with. Uh, so the, here, are the, um, here are the three questions that I kind of wrestle with or, or that come to me as I'm looking at this and, and strike me as significant. The first one is, what is Jesus referring to when he talks about unity? This, this idea of oneness. How are we supposed to understand that? And then a second question that kind of flows out of that is, well, what is love? Um, it's only referenced actually in the final verse of what we read, but it's inferred earlier in the text, and I'll explain that in a minute. So what is unity? What is love? And then the third question that I have then is, is what results from this unity and love? Um, and so we're going to look at those three questions. So that may have it may scratch where you itch, uh, but if you've got another itch, um, send it to me by text, okay? Um, here's where we're going to kind of ultimately get to uh, as we kind of work our way through this portion of Jesus' prayer. We're, we're going to get to this realization that um, we are in the most amazing and intimate community possible uh, because of this reality that Jesus is describing. And uh, yeah, we're going to go deep on that one. So let, let, let's begin. We need, we need help. This is, this is, this is going to make us think. Um, and it's going to require that I bring the best I can bring to you. And um, if that's going to happen, we need the help of the Holy Spirit in this. So Holy Spirit, um, be our teacher here this morning. Um, uh, we feel our inadequacy to, to be able to think rightly. And I feel my inadequacy to to, to teach something that is so profound, I'm still really grasping to, 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 to comprehend it better. Um, and yet in your grace you meet and you teach us and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified here and that as we begin to see afresh the greatness that is you, we would see afresh the greatness that is the Father. And in all of this, we would be strengthened for the mission that is ours, um, strengthened from this, the posture which is the community that you've given to us. Help us to grasp this. Help us to begin to understand it more deeply. We ask in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So John 17, what is, what is unity? What does it mean to be one with the Father and the Son? Uh, Jesus in this prayer first references this idea of oneness back in verse 11 when he prays, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And then he uses this kind of language again in verse 21. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. But then he continues on into verse 22, and he says, I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now, it's very easy to get lost in that language, but at the very minimum, what we, what we catch is there's something fundamentally extraordinary that's being described here by Jesus. The idea that the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and we are in the Father and Son, and the Father and Son is in us. It's maybe helpful to begin but by attempting to put into a picture what Jesus has described. The Son is in the Father. The Father is in the Son. And the next one, believers are in the Father and the Son. And the Father and the Son 
is in the believers. Now, we, we kind of scratch our head at that and say, well, doesn't that defy physics or something? Like, how are we supposed to understand what Jesus is talking about here? One of the errors that, that gets made at this point, has been made historically, uh, is people say, will say, well, right, okay, um, we are in the Son, he is in the Father, um, they are in us, well, then we must all be equals. Um, that must really be what we're describing here. Um, we are now gods, we are now little gods. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the error in thinking that um, Brigham Young of the, of the Mormons, the, the LDS church, uh, where he said, he said the following, he said, as God was, we are, as he is, we will become. Okay, and, and so this is, this is a substantial confusion concerning the oneness that Jesus was describing here. And so we have to come back and say, well, well then how is it that we're to understand what Jesus is describing? If this is not to suggest that somehow we are little gods um, walking around, what is it that Jesus is saying? And Jesus is, is saying that we have been invited into relational identity with God, which is different from essential identity with God. We've been invited into relationship. That doesn't mean that we're part of the essence of who God is. These are different things. We see that through the pages of Scripture. Jesus and the Father are one in essence, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, great sermon on that this summer. If you went back to the first Sunday of July, if you want to look at that again. The Father and the Son are one in essence, and, and we, through the work of Jesus, have been brought into relational unity with the Godhead. We've been brought into fellowship, and they now reside in us, and we reside in them. Our lives, our identity is found in relational unity with God. Now, we might say, well, I'm still kind of puzzled on this, but we use this kind of language when we speak about Christian marriage. I think it's a reasonable analogy. In Christian marriage, we describe the two as having become one flesh. Now, we, we recognize there's still two human beings stand there, and yet there's a relational reality that, begin, that, that takes place. And so when a, when a couple stands before us as a church family, as a, a congregation before God, and says, I do, uh, they have now been relationally united. They've been declared to be one. And then what proceeds is a growing into that oneness. So we're talking about healthy relationships here, remember. But a growing into that oneness that a, a week after that marriage, it's, there's something different than, than the day we said, I do. And, and a year after that marriage. And, and then, and then there's, there's 40 years after the saying, I do. Congratulations to Rolf and Joy, by the way. They celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary this, uh, this weekend. There they are over there. Uh, it actually took place in August, um, but it was celebrated this weekend. And, and thank you. Thank you for setting such a beautiful sort of example of... of Love and patience and perseverance for us. But, but when you've spent a, a lifetime, it's 50 or 60, when you've spent a lifetime with someone, there is a, a relational oneness that's taking place that's increasingly beautiful, that's increasingly uh, uh, profound, increasingly knowing. Uh, and yet, the moment we said, I do, we were one. Um, we're invited into relational oneness with, 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 the, with God through Jesus. And, and so if, if you've only recently said yes to Jesus, um, that is a reality that is true of your life. You have been drawn into that fellowship. And yet you may say, oh, but I don't know anything. 
you know, but I'm still, I'm still growing. There's so much that I've made so many mistakes already. And we would say, yeah, you know, that's part of growing into that relationship because it's going to require intentionality. It's going to require investment. Um, uh, husbands and wives, if, if you're in a place where your marriage is really struggling, could it be that, that it's, it's, it's at this point uh, of relational unity. Uh, some of the things we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, maybe I'll just put that across your radar that you would, would, would be listening for that. Yeah, but here's a point that I need to make sure that I don't miss. There are those who then look at this and say, well, everybody should be one, so stop bickering and, and like just manifest oneness, just display oneness. You know, why, churches, why, why do churches seem to have some disagreements between one another? Or, or why do people within a church uh, sometimes have disagreement uh, with one another? And, and so the argument would then go that, that we need to just kind of find the, the, the lowest common denominator and just make that our point of, of agreement together. And, and that, that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Now, relational unity between churches and between us is very, very important. Uh, but where the world would say getting along equals unity, uh, we would have to say, but that's not what Jesus was talking about here. Um, he's actually talking about regarding one another more highly than, than just settling on the lowest common denominator. He's talking about a unity that comes as we press through misunderstanding, as we press through disagreement. And we do so via our commitment to one another. I love you, so I'm not willing to just kind of sweep the disagreement under the carpet without us engaging in a a reasonable conversation together where we try to understand one another. Why would we do that? Because, because we love one another. We're valuing the relationship. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to have a robust conversation. I'm willing to have a respectful dialogue in, in order that we would better understand one another. And if at the end of the day we have to agree that we, we, we have to disagree on this point, um, we've not done so as, as kind of a, an easy out from what might be an uncomfortable conversation, uh, we've done so because we've, we've been willing to respect one another. And help me here. Would you, would you help me understand what it is you're saying? Because uh, apparently I'm not understanding that. Husbands and wives, this is where relationships so often breaks down, where we're not, we're not really willing to hear one another. You know, and, and then it becomes you know, a defending of a position rather than an attempt to defer to one another, an attempt to love one another through understanding. I love you. I want to understand you. Right now, you're making no sense at all, but, but it's probably me. So i got to fix my ears, and I need to fix the... But, but would you help me? Because I know you love me too. Would you help me hear you again? Would you help me understand you again? Because I long that we would walk in unity and agreement together. Respectful dialogue, respectful listening, respectful communicating. The Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, we are in them, and they are in us. Well, if that kind of scratches the surface on what Jesus is describing here as, as this unity, we'd say, well then, what about this word love, which almost like automatically comes out as soon as you start speaking about unity? Jesus referenced it, in verse 26, he said, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, it's the only time the word love proper is referenced in this chapter. However, 
It's inferred if we rightly understand what's being said back in verse 22. He said, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Both those passages are referencing this idea of oneness. And love gets explicitly said in verse 26. Glory, the glory that is being given to us is referenced in verse 22. And we need to pause again because this word was used earlier in Jesus' prayer and say, okay, have we rightly understood everything that's being inferred by that word? Because John uses that word quite a bit. Um, sometimes it's his own descriptor. Sometimes he's quoting Jesus, and Jesus is using the, that word glory. And you say, okay, if we're going to understand how Jesus is using the word glory, we, we, we're probably going to have to go back and read the scriptures that he was reading in order to understand it. In fact, there's a very strong correlation between, uh, between much that is said in the Gospel of John and what Moses wrote for us in Exodus 33 and 34. And so if we, if we jump back to that account in the Hebrew Scriptures, Exodus chapter 33, um, the, the setting was this. Um, the Old Testament prophet Moses uh, was in the tent of meeting, meeting, discussing, praying uh, with God. So the children of Israel uh, had left Egypt. Uh, they had uh, miraculously escaped the, uh, the oppression uh, of Pharaoh's slavery, uh, were, were in theory at least on their way to the promised land. It was a difficult journey, uh, fraught with disobedience and, and all kinds of reversals. Um, but they were on their way, and, and there's this extraordinary uh, intimate encounter between, uh, between the Father God and, and Moses in the tent of meeting, where the Father says, to Moses, he says, I am pleased with you. In fact, I know you by name, which is an extraordinary thing. We talked about the name of God last week. To know someone's name is to know the essence of who they are. It's to, their, their name represents them, and God's saying, I get you. I understand. He knows you by name as well, by, by the way. But there's this extraordinary encounter, and in this encounter, Moses then says, would you show me your glory? Would you show me your glory? And here's the response that we read about. Exodus 33, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Okay, now remember, the request was for glory. And here the word is goodness. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Okay, don't lose John 17. The name of God is, is significant to us. I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I will uh, proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, okay, there's like goodness and glory is kind of being used interchangeably here. It's, it's going to help us understand what, what the word means. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Jumping down to when it actually happens, verse 34, chapter 34, verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. And proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
And Moses experienced the glory of God. And what we find out is that, that God's glory is, is bound up in this truth that he is compassionate and gracious. He is abounding in love and faithfulness according to that which he intoned in the presence of Moses. So in the Apostle John, then, in his gospel, John chapter 1 writes, we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We hear all kinds of overtures of of Exodus 33 and 34. And he goes on in John 2.11 to say, this was the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. John 11 and 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And then we come to this prayer in John 17. And he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. We're beginning to see that... He's talking about an extraordinary relational invitation into friendship with God, an invitation to manifest the very person and character of God through who we are and who we are becoming, to manifest God's compassion and his grace and his abounding love and faithfulness because he is present in us and increasingly our ambition would be to let let it be seen through us. And that's what he's referencing then when he prays in John 17, 26. And he says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Manifesting his love is intimately connected with what it means to be, to be those who would allow the greatness of, of who he is to be seen, to allow his glory to be seen. Uh, this and we're beginning to see that, that, that through this unity um, and, and through rightly understanding what this love, uh, the glory of God is being seen, his goodness, his compassion, his love, his faithfulness. And, and then we pause and we say, well, how, how are we doing? How am I doing at, at allowing his glory to be seen in and through my life? Um, now, here would be a point where, where we can easily get to a place where we beat up on ourselves. You know, where we allow shame and guilt to begin to rule. And that's, that's, not, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is, is to rightly identify the brokenness that we find ourselves in and to come to the one who time and again is known as, as gracious and compassionate and loving and say, Lord, I don't know how it can be. You've made me one with you. And yet I see my failings, I see the, the, the brokenness that's present, and you invite me to come and to keep a clean slate with you, and you say, let's try again, let's do it again. And, and so whether, whether it's, the, it's, it's, it's a big stumble or, or it's a, a little stumble that no one ever would have noticed, um, we, we keep these short accounts with him, uh, does, because here we are in this intimate, this most amazing and intimate community imaginable. Where, where he, they are in us, the Father and Son are in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, we are in them, and we are living this out, and as we allow them to be lived out from within us, the greatness that is our God, the glory that is our God, increasingly becomes seen. Now this is what Jesus was praying 
on the night that he was betrayed. He says, in John 15, he says, greater love is no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Here we are on the eve of the greatest manifestation of that, the greatest demonstration of that love. And he is, he is thinking about us, about our unity, about our ability to convey the love that is the Father. And then we're compelled to then say, well, what is it that he is expecting to result from our, from our perseverance in this, from our pursuit that this increasingly would be so. And there are two things that we'll touch on. One is that we participate in making Jesus known. And then the second is that we enjoy the continued partnership of Jesus. So in that first point, we, we participate in making Jesus known, it, it, which leads, as we make Jesus known, it leads to people believing in Jesus or, or rejecting Jesus. It's going to lead in one or, or the other direction. But our union with Christ and with one another um, becomes part of the manifestation of the love of God. And at the very minimum, it removes the unknowing that exists in our world. And so Jesus says in verse 21, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that they sent us. So that, purpose statement. He says in verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What he's expecting from the manifestation of our unity and the presence of his love among us is that the world will know, the world will see. It is going to be evidenced through the presence of Jesus in us. We participate in making Jesus known. And we enjoy the continued partnership with Jesus. Look at verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. This is just one of many of the promises that Jesus made that he would be present with us, to us. Matthew 28, where he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. John 14, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we're starting to see that, that, that he is with us. This is his promise. And his promise is that he will continue to make himself and the greatness of God known. And that's what Paul was referring to, Romans 8, 34, when he said, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now that word interceding, pleading before the Father, that's a prayer word. That's a word about kind of intensive pursuing after in prayer. And that's what Jesus is doing now, interceding for us. What have we just been reading here in John 17? We've been reading him interceding. He's been praying. He's been pleading before the Father. What do you think is going on right now in heaven as he continues to plead before the Father? He continues to intercede for us. I bet you, it's a, at, at minimum, it's John 17. It's him continuing before the Father, praying for our protection, praying that God's glory would be evidenced through us, praying that we would be one and that we would manifest the love of God, the glory of God, and through that the world would know writer of the book of Hebrews, that's a letter that was written to Jewish followers of Jesus that were scattered around the known world. He writes in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. So there's one of those Jewish words, permanent priesthood, 
Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. There's that prayer word again. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart for sinners, exalted above the heavens. This is the one who is for you. This is the one who is, is with you. And this is the one who is, is continuing in intercession over your life, over your ministry, over your calling to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, uh, everywhere you go. He's securing he has secured your salvation, is securing your salvation on account of his work on the cross. And he is securing the salvation of those who have yet to believe. So here's part of the reason why, here's part of the reason why we want to be praying for those who, who, who he's praying for right here when he says, I pray, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me, who will believe in me through their message. I'm going to pause for questions in just a couple of minutes, and I haven't felt my phone buzz yet, so you can fire them off. Uh, but part of the ongoing ministry of Jesus is this intercession for you, over you and your life. And we would long that we would walk in such an experience of him together, that we would be living out compassionate, gracious, abounding love and faithfulness to our God. What haven't I scratched? Oh, hey, I got some questions here. Right on. Thank you. Okay. Okay, so the first question here is, is just kind of simply, so where are non-Christians? Um, so I'm going to have to kind of interpret that um, uh, as best I can. I think the question is referring to what John has been describing, Jesus has been describing here, as the world. So we talked about that last week. There's a, Jesus is referring to a clear distinction, those who are people of this world versus those who are people of God. You become a people of God by turning to Jesus and believing in the Lord, by making him the center of your life. We, we confess our sin, acknowledge that we have lived waywardly, we have lived willfully apart from God, and that through Jesus we're invited into relationship. Um, and, and this profound reality that Jesus is referring to, Paul uses the language of, of, of uh, uh, a changing of kingdom, that's Jesus' language too, but um, uh, you are invited to become a new people. Uh, to, uh, no longer people of the world, but to become people of God. If I've not adequately addressed that, please um, see me afterwards or, or fire me another message, and I'll do my best. Um, here's another question. You were talking about holy intimacy. That cannot be replicated anywhere else, are you not? Yes. Okay, next question. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we're, we're talking about union with our maker. Being, because what happened was estrangement from our maker, right? That, that's what happened back in the garden. 
where we were separated from him by our sin. And the, the spectacular story throughout the pages of Scripture is his pursuit of us, his making of a way in order that we could be restored. In, and I, you hear me often saying friendship. That's Paul's language out of uh, the book of Romans. Friendship with God, restored friendship with God. We've got to use a lot of different words in order to try to get at holy, I like the way you said that, holy intimacy um, with with God, a holy friendship, a holy union with. We are now in Christ. We are his people. We're no longer people of the world. We have a new citizenship, Paul's language. Uh, we are no longer citizens of this world. We are now citizens of the kingdom of God. And, and we use a lot of different words to try to get our minds around this, uh, this reality that, well, physically, not necessarily an awful lot has changed. Uh, but spiritually, everything, everything has changed. And we're invited into holy friendship. Those are great questions. Thank you, friends. I appreciate that very much. Um, there was one that was asked last service. How am I doing? Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to end it there because I need to press on um, here. Um, just as I wrap up, let me just say um, that in your bulletins, um, we've put a, a little card, which will be somewhat familiar to, uh, to some of you, um, that, that looks like this. And you're welcome to pull it out if you'd, li- if you'd like to. On, on the one side of this bulletin, and this is our, our, my ambition, our ambition in this series really is to invite you to consider prayer uh, again, uh, more fundamentally, uh, more persistently, um, and, uh, and to help you with that, we've provided this little tool. So on the one side is kind of some new content on the last version of this card that I created, um, and I call it Praying with Jesus. If you look at that side of the card, and what I've done is just given you a little summary of how you could take the prayer that is Jesus' prayer and make it your prayer, and, and you can, can follow that through on that side of the card. On the other side of the card, one with a little diagram, it, at the top it says, People I'm Talking to Jesus About. Now, at the very bottom in the italic is um, a little statement that I've made a number of times before. Before I talk to my friends about Jesus, I want to talk to Jesus about my friends. And, and so it's this invitation, and this is where the little graphic comes, where we talk, say we want to start with prayer. Um, God often uses friendship uh, to, to draw people to himself. And so we start with prayer, we share a cup, we share a meal, we share our friends. Um, it's not, nothing like a guaranteed process. That's just how God often works. And, and so we are people in relationship with others, and so it's an invitation. You may be here this morning because you just come on the invitation of a friend. Um, and I would want you to know um, you're here because you've been prayed for. Uh, we pray for people in our community that need Jesus, uh, that, that are longing for a, a restored friendship with God. We pray for you all the time. And you may have even been prayed for by name. You maybe have a friend who's put your name on one of these cards and they're talking about you to Jesus and it's because they love you. It's because we long that you would be restored uh, in relationship to the Father. We have been invited into this holy intimacy and now long that, that, uh, that others too would find their way into it and we realize that God uses us in order to be those way makers. Who should be on your list? Who are you praying for? Who are the people that are in proximity, proximity to your life um, that, that maybe need Jesus. You maybe don't even know for sure. Um, uh, maybe they, you know, walked with him once and haven't for a while or a long time. And maybe they, they really don't even know the name of Jesus. Um, maybe it's time to begin praying for them and then see what doors God would open uh, 